And, and I'll tell you what we're going to talk about. So as we're going through this, you can kind of have it in, in the back of your mind. But how do we weather a storm? And we hear about it all the time. You know, how do you get through trials? You know, and, and the cliche is, if you're not in a storm, you're going to go through one soon, or you just got out of one. And so I'm going to steer clear of, of try to steer clear of, of most of the cliches and things that we hear when we're talking about uh, trials. But I'm not necessarily going to uh, encourage so much that, uh, hey, everybody goes through it, cause, but that's true. I'm going to talk about tonight, how do we get through them? How do we weather the storm? And, and originally I was going to uh, say, how do, how do we beat the storm? But I don't think we ever beat it. The storm is a storm. It's, you didn't beat it. You got through it is, is uh, a more correct way to put it. So that's why I titled this, how do, we, how do we weather the storm? And if you go to Acts chapter 21, our text is going to be in Acts chapter 27. But I want to give you a little bit of a, a history lesson, so to speak, on what, what happened. How do we get to Acts chapter 27? What happens? And so if you look at the book of Acts, uh, does anybody know who wrote the book of Acts? Ms. Barber? Luke. Very good. It was a trick question, and she wasn't tricked. Uh, they believe it was Luke. Um, it's really an anonymous, an anonymous um, author, but it's, as you go through this, and we'll see this in, in uh, chapter 27, he's always saying we, and we went. It's not Paul speaking, uh, even though a lot of it's about Paul, but then that's in, starting in about chapter 21. The previous chapters of the book of Acts are the the, the book is titled The Acts of the Apostles. That's why it's called Acts. And I think sometimes, especially if we grew up in church, you just Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. You don't know what Acts even means, but it's the Acts of the Apostles that are being recorded. And so uh, it's really recording the first three decades of the early church. And basically then your, your timeline for Acts is Acts chapter uh, AD 30 to AD, this thing's shining in my eye, AD 30 to AD 63, so about 30 years there. And it's, it's uh, talking about the spread of Christianity as, as they were persecuted and as the church, uh, b as believers multiplied. This is all after, obviously, the ascension of Jesus Christ. Now, what happens in chapter 2 of Acts? Anybody know? Acts chapter 2. Yeah, what is it? Pentecost. It's Pentecost. And uh, I believe that's the, the start of the church. Acts chapter 2, we have Pentecost, and, but, but Jesus is gone at that point. And so then the rest of, up to chapter 21, it's detailing, and, and the book, the Bible's like this in all of its books. It's not a comprehensive church history. It's not every little detail of everything that happened in the early church. Um, but, it, but it's a focusing on Peter's ministry and who was Peter. Uh, primarily ministering to? You don't have to raise your hand, just, just shout. The Jews. And then it talks about Paul's ministry, and he was primarily to the Gentiles, okay? So in Acts chapter 21, and uh, we're going to pick up right there, and this is where we're going to go through some history. This doesn't have so much to do with our, our message tonight as much as it has to do with how did Paul get in the situation he's in in chapter 27. So we're going to look at it very quickly. So Acts 21, verses 1 through 9. You may have headings in your Bibles. Um, if you do, I'm pretty much following those, but not, not uh, 100%. But verses 1 through 9, we see they make a stop, and you'll, you'll see this if you're going through there, 
they make a stop at Tyre. And I was going to give you all a map, you may have one in your Bible, of this trip. This, this is where uh, Paul is, is uh, getting ready to head to Rome. I'm going to jump the gun, but he's heading to Rome, okay? Um, because he's, been, he's getting ready to go on trial in Rome. So verses 1 through 9, they stop at Tyre, they fellowship with the brethren. And these brethren warn Paul, uh, and look at verse 3. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it... Uh, we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlaid her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. So in verses 1 through 9, we have these Christian brothers saying, hey, I wouldn't go to Jerusalem. Maybe it's because they knew how, uh, how much persecution was happening. But the church, there is a church in Jerusalem. So um, they're still making headway. Now remember... The church in Jerusalem was primarily to focusing on the Jews, right? Peter and James. And so they may not have had but so much opposition. Now, granted, they opposed Jesus Christ to the point of death. So it wasn't like it was easy sailing, but they were very much focused on the Jews. And so maybe, maybe they saw it as a help, kind of like we see in the world today. Uh, we don't want religion, but they help us. So we'll allow them to, to stay. Then in verses 10 through 16, you see another uh, prophet in verse 10 as we tarried there many days there came down from judea a certain prophet named agabus and what did agabus do he he takes that cloak and he binds paul's hands and says whoever's hands are bound by this cloak you're going to have problems in jerusalem basically he's prophesying you're going to get to jerusalem and you're going to have issues uh that's in verses 10 through 16 Se verse 17 still in chapter 21 verse 17 the brethren which James is there. This is interesting because we're going through the book of James. But when, verse 17, when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. So they're warned not to go. They show up anyway. In verse 18, and the day following Paul went in with us unto James and all the elders were present. So James uh, is the same James that we're talking about in the book of James. Um, he's the, the pastor there. Uh, so James uh, welcomes Paul and warns him of headhunters that are made, uh, threats that were made because they think he's teaching to forsake the teachings of Moses. And we see that in uh, verse 21. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. So these are the elders at Jerusalem, and they're telling Paul, this is what they think you're teaching. Now, was Paul teaching that? No, he wasn't telling the Jews, don't, don't circumcise your kids, He was your boys. He was saying, it's not necessary for salvation. That's all he was saying. But remember, Paul is going to the Gentiles. So remember, Paul withstands Peter to the face because a big part of that was he was, he was fine with Gentiles getting saved until the Jews opposed him. And then Peter was like, yeah, 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 it's not for the Gentiles. And Paul withstands, goes to Peter and to his face says, you're wrong. And that was a part of this. So they, but then they warn him, hey, there are Jews, unsaved Jews, obviously. They want you dead because they think you're teaching against uh, what Moses taught us to do. Then we see in verse 27, Paul is arrested. Um, <clears throat> and look at that real quick. And when the seven days, verse 27, were almost ended, Paul takes a vow. Uh, remember they said, hey, there's four, four guys, I think it's four, that have taken this vow. They've shaved their heads. They've taken this vow. You need to at least show that you're attempting to uh, 
be a part of the Jews and, and you're not, you don't hate us or uh, completely are against us. So take that vow with them. That's what this is saying in verse 27. When the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law in this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. They're, they're crying out against Paul. Now, Paul addresses that later. He says, I didn't take anybody into the temple. Now, I can only imagine that when Paul is traveling, he had some Gentiles with him. And they saw him in the street. If you read through this, uh, <clears throat> these chapters, they saw Paul in the street with the Gentile near to the temple and just assumed he took him in the temple. And that's what they're ready to kill him about over here uh, in verse, uh, verse 28. But then, <clears throat> uh, verse, still in verses 27 through 36, the, he's beaten, almost, almost killed. Um, see, verse 30, And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band, which was Julius, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. So uh, they, they get Julius, hey, all Jerusalem's in an uproar. They're trying to kill Paul. And that's really the only thing that saved Paul's life is this Roman uh, comes down and, and puts an end to it. So verse 37 through chapter two, 22 and verse 21, we see Paul is granted permission to speak. And this is where we get the testimonies of Paul. You know, when, when Paul talks about the road to Damascus, that's where we see these testimonies. And what he's doing is telling, giving these men his testimony of, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm doing, I'm, I am not opposing what Moses taught. I'm telling you that Jesus Christ fulfilled that. And you'll see that uh, all the way through, uh, well, verse, starting in verse 37 of 21, Paul gets permission to speak. It's also interesting, he starts speaking, he asks permission in Greek. And, and the, uh, Julius, the chief captain, says, Canst thou speak Greek? Uh, art thou not the Egyptian which before thee? So they don't even know who he is. That's, that's what's going on here. This, this, all Jerusalem's in an uproar, and this chief captain comes down, thinks he's this Egyptian guy. Verse 38, Art not the, thou the Egyptian which before these days made an uproar and ledest out into the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers? <laughs> and Paul's probably like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Verse 39, I'm a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. So he's like, I'm not sure what you mean by the Egyptian guy, but no, I'm not him. So now this chief captain is going, well, who is this guy? And he speaks Greek too. Um, so then, verse 40, Paul starts speaking. In the end of verse 40, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue. Uh, so that, well, now they hear him speaking in Hebrew starting in chapter 22, and they, they're silent because they're like, oh, well, man, he maybe is one of us because he's speaking in Hebrew. And we see that all the way through chapter, uh, verse 21 of chapter 22, that Paul is giving them his conversion testimony. And, and, uh, but then in verse 22 of chapter 22, they gave him audience unto this word and then lifted up their voices and said away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. They, they, they try to kill him again. And then you see in verse uh, 22 through 30, Paul is spared a beating due to his Roman citizenship. Uh, so everything we know about Paul, this is all coming into play all at one time in this one story. Uh, they get ready to go take him into this castle to beat him and say, what, who are you and what are you doing? They're going to beat him. And they get ready to whip him. And he says, you sure you want to do that to a Roman citizen? And you see that in verses 22, 22 through 30. The chief, camp, chief captain answered with a great sum 
uh, or verse 26, when the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest. This man is a Roman. And then the chief captain comes back and says unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He says, Yes. Chief captain answers, How are you a Roman? So <clears throat> we're getting to chapter 27. So we go to chapter 23 now. Paul addresses the Jewish council. And if you read through this, it's almost the identical story, uh, identical testimony that he just gave to the Hebrews while he's standing on that step after they just beat him literally half to death. Verse, uh, chapter 23, verses 1 through 11, he addresses the Jews, the Jewish council, which was made of Sadducees and Pharisees, and he pits them against each other because Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, the Pharisees do, and he gets them going against each other, and he actually has the Pharisees trying to spare his life uh, in verses 1 through 11. Then we see in verses 12 through 35, uh, all right, so verse 10, and when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces by the Sadducees and Pharisees, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the castle. Then, in verse 12, when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And there were more than 40 which made this conspiracy. So Paul hears about this, and he actually gets his nephew, I believe, to go down and tell the chief captain, hey, they're going to kill him. You need to get him out safely under cover of night. And we see that happen uh, in verses 12 through 35 of chapter 23. Because he's a Roman citizen, this chief captain says, okay, I'm going to spare his life. I don't want a Roman citizen dying on my watch. I'm going to get him out of here. And you see that, verse 22. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him. See thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things to me. And he called unto him two centurions, verse 23, saying, Make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen uh, threescore and ten, and spearmen 200 at the third hour of the night, and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him unto Felix the governor. So this guy is like saying, get him out of Jerusalem and set him under, take him to Caesarea and set him under Felix and let Felix deal with it. I don't want to deal with this guy anymore. He's, he's, he's Hebrew, he's Greek, he's a Roman citizen, and I don't even know who he is. Let Felix deal with him. So that's what we see in verse 24. Paul then speaks before Felix, and he's on trial. And, and uh, it's interesting, in verse 27. But after two years, Portius, uh, oh, hold on, uh, 26. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul that he might loose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. Felix is just a crooked politician is what he is. He's talking to Paul uh, over the course of two years, often, just trying to get money. He thinks, he doesn't know, they don't know who Paul is. So he's thinking, this guy must be important. Uh, he says there in, there in his testimony, I sat under Gamaliel in Jerusalem. So they don't know who, who Paul is. He must be important. And it says that he's trying to get money out of Paul. For two years, he's in Caesarea. And then in verse 27, Festus takes over for Felix. Uh, but after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and, Fe and what that means is he took his spot. And Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So he leaves him bound uh, again. And finally, uh, in, verse, in chapter 25, verses 21 uh, through 12, because Festus isn't, is not listening to what Paul has to say. He's the proconsul there in Caesarea. And he finally says, uh, I, I want to talk to I want to talk to." I'm appealing to Caesar. So verse 12, Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar thou shalt go. And it's kind of like uh, 
Oh, best thing I can figure is, is uh, Kevin will probably understand this better than me even, is when you're, you know, in, in, in a police um, station being interrogated, not just uh, interviewed, but interrogated, and you say, I want to talk to my lawyer. All right, that's it. That's what happens here in verse 12. I want to talk, I want to appeal to Caesar. They say, okay, then you're going to, then to Caesar you're going to go. And we're getting to chapter 27. Um, so chapter 25, verses 23 through chapter 26, verse 32, uh, Paul, this is where Paul talks to Agrippa, King Agrippa. Paul was not trying to get Agrippa to free him. He had already appealed to Caesar. But Agrippa said, I want to talk to him. I want to see what, what happened here. And if you look at verse 32 of chapter 26, that's where, uh, right here at the end is where uh, Agrippa says, hey, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. And Festus, in verse 24, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But in verse 26, uh, 27, King Agrippa, verse 28, King Agrippa said, almost thou hast per persuaded me to be a Christian. But then look at verse 32. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, this man might have been set at liberty if he'd not appealed unto Caesar. So Agrippa is convinced. He's not guilty of anything. I'd have let him go if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. And now we get to chapter 27, and this is where our text uh, starts. And I would like to read the whole passage, but the whole chapter, but I don't have time. So verse 27, when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band, and entering into a ship, they start the journey to Rome, all right? So this is out of Caesarea. This is where they're, they're coming out of. And uh, <clears throat> anyways, here we see that Paul, when Paul's getting ready to, to head to Rome, almost immediately, very, very early on, they get into this storm, and, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And I don't know if I prayed. If I didn't, we're going to pray right now. And that was the introduction, and we're going to get into it. And, and it'll, we'll go quickly through it tonight. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I pray that as we look at uh, the storms here that Paul was involved in, God, that we can apply them straight to our lives. God, we're going to go through storms. We know that. And I pray that we would uh, take these, these steps to be able to weather the storm and come out on the other side stronger, but also uh, to come out on the other side. Uh, God, I pray that you would help us as we do go through these storms. God, some of us are in them right now, and I pray that this will be an encouragement and, uh, and uh, uh, God, just uh, instruction for how do we get through these storms. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Look at verse 13. I couldn't help but think this as I was reading, chapter 27, verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. Now before this, Paul says, don't, I wouldn't go now to, to Rome. And the, and the captain of the ship says, I know better. And they get ready to go. And a south wind blew softly. And I couldn't help but thinking, you know, a south wind is when you're sitting in church and somebody's preaching and you're agreeing with everything. I, amen, I agree with that. That's the south wind. It's really, really easy sailing. If you've never had your faith tested, you don't know what your faith actually is yet. And that's, what, that's the only thing I can think of here in 13. Why it would even, When the south wind blew softly, they were like, hey, let's roll. This weather's good. But the south wind was blowing in this, this storm uh, because, verse 14, but not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocliden or Eurocliden. And when the ship was caught, it could not bear up into the wind. We let her drive. And uh, <clears throat> so I want to ask a question tonight. Um, 
How many of you like thunderstorms? How many of you like them? I, I figured lots of people like them. Um, how many of you like being stuck in a thunderstorm? Not very many. Uh, we like watching the storm from the outside, from the inside, I suppose, from inside our house where we're nice and dry. We know the thunder's outside; it's booming. Our houses have been made to withstand all the the, the lightning and all the rest of that. Uh, we're all grounded and everything else. But when you're, it's a completely different thing when you're outside standing in the storm, right? And I think we often judge people going through a storm when we're watching it. You know, we see somebody going through a storm, and they're like, why doesn't he just do this? Why doesn't he just do that? It's a lot different when we're in the storm. So that's kind of a side note. Be careful to judge somebody that's in a storm. We don't really know what they're going through. But remember also that God puts us through storms so that we can help others when they go through their storm. So don't forget that either. Um, But uh, we go through all different kinds of storms in our life, and I'm going to hurry through. We go through spiritual storms, mental storms, physical uh, storms with our our physical health, uh, financial storms, emotional storms. And we see there in verse 14, normally when those storms come, we're not expecting them. They come up on us as a surprise. Uh, The south wind is blowing, everything is smooth, and then all of a sudden we're in the middle of a storm, and it's too late to turn back. We've made the decisions going, you know, too long now, we can't get back to where to the shore, and so now we have to deal with the storm. And how do we do that? Um, and I wrote this down too. Often, uh, storms are of our own making. Not all of them, but often storms are of our own making. Uh, think about in the area of finances. You know, we we have to have these things, or we we have to, or, or we make a poor investment decision uh, and get ourselves into a financial storm. Think about uh, Ananias and Sapphira. That was completely 100% of their own making. Now, they didn't make it out of the storm, but that was completely of their own making. Think about marriage uh, issues. I think think this is why it's so important for our young people to understand the principles of the Bible. We do not marry unbelievers. I don't care how good-looking they are, how nice they are. You cannot marry an unbeliever, and we have that example. Look at Samson. Samson tells his dad, go get me them women. They're pretty or whatever his reason was. It happens. And at the end of Samson, they ended up killing him. Uh, and before they killed him, he was, a, he was a, a, like a clown in a circus. They had a party and they wanted Samson to come so they could make fun of him and laugh at him. But uh, sometimes marriage issues are of our own making. Sometimes our children of our, our, having issues with our children are of our own making. Think of Eli and his sons. I mean, his sons were wicked, wicked men. And Eli, the Bible says, Eli let them do that. He just didn't correct them. Uh, maybe sometimes it's because we know better. I'm not going to spank my kids. I'm not going to do that. I don't think that's... What does the Bible say? You know. So sometimes those storms are of our own making. And having said all that, sometimes storms are not of our own making either. Sometimes they just they, they come on us, and we have to know how to get through them. So here's four things, four things quickly. How do we get through, how do we weather a storm? Look at chapter 27, verse verse 18. And I think these are very, very clear in this passage. How did Paul get through this storm? Verse 18, And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. 
And then we see it again later. They, have, they eat and then they toss out the rest of the wheat. They're trying to lighten the ship. And I think this is something we can apply. I mean, you, you see in Jonah, when Jonah gets on that ship and they get into a storm, almost immediately they toss everything that's, that, that they don't need off the ship. It's, it's a practice that's been, been used often. And uh, I can't help but thinking, you know, sometimes when we start into our journey or we start into a, an endeavor, we're carrying so much stuff. I remember we had a guy that went camping with us one time. It's, now remember, the men's camp out in Pennsylvania. This is a Thursday night, basically, Thursday evening, Friday, and then we come home Saturday. And I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding, this guy had like 10 bags of stuff. And I, we were laughing at him, and he was laughing about it too, but we were like, what is in there? And he had, I mean, he had everything you could think of for camping, and probably eight of the bags stayed in the trailer. They never got open. All right. Now, if he was traveling, this happened all the time when, when people would go west too. They would carry cases of books and chests full of, you know, China. And it, when it got tough, they would just toss it. It's not important anymore. I think that's what we see here with Paul. Now, he's not the one tossing stuff out, but it's a principle that we can, we can apply to our lives. Lighten the ship. Uh, sometimes, I can't help but thinking of Hebrews chapter 12, the weight, right? Lay aside the weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And the, the, these, these things are not, again, necessarily bad. And I think it's very easily applied to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Those weights are not necessarily sins. Because then he says, and the sin. So what are those weights? What weights can we, some of them may be sin. But what are those weights that we can cast off? And I'm going to just kind of read through. I have lots of stuff underneath them, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip through. But how about unforgiveness? When you're going through a storm, I mentioned it this morning in Sunday school, uh, but there are people that will hold grudges. They'll hold bitterness against somebody else for, for years and years, decades. They'll die with it. And I am not forgiving them because they did whatever to me. When you're going through a storm... I mean, we have very clear instruction in the Bible to forgive. That's something we can cast off. There's no reason to carry that extra weight when we're going through a storm. Uh, second thing is fear. Uh, I think fear is a magnifying glass. Things that are really not that big a deal when, when, we're, when we're going through a storm and that fear is out, it magnifies those little things. Um, I, I was thinking of uh, uh, fear. When I was younger, I was probably, I don't know, eight, or eight, eight years old probably, and I think I've mentioned this before, but my dad used to make us run, I say make, we, were, we would run 5Ks, um, 3.1 miles, and we were, we were, in the summertime, we would practice every day, and my dad would get home almost every day from work and say, hey, did you guys run yet? No, sir. All right, get your running clothes on and, and make sure you get your run in. Well, the worst thing that could possibly happen is if he forgot to ask because it didn't matter what time of the day it was when he finally remembered, hey, did you guys run? No, sir, go run. Well, one, one night it happened and it was dark outside already and it was a little course that we run a mile and a half out and a mile and a half back. And both of my brothers, they probably wouldn't admit it, but they were about the same, same speed. They could keep up with each other, but I was little. Pastor's four years older than me and when you're eight years old, a 12-year-old's way faster than you. And... Uh, I just remember that, I don't know what our time was, but I'm sure I beat my time by far because when they took off, I was not letting them get, get out of my sight. You know, the dark, the 
fear is a magnifying glass. There's nothing in the weeds. I run by that all the time. But in the dark, when that fear uh, is chasing you and, and you know it's right behind you, same thing with our storms. Set that fear aside. And, and Jesus tells us that in 1 Peter 5, 7, or Paul, uh, Peter tells us that. Casting all your care upon him. Cast it on him. There's no reason for us to fear. Um, third, third thing we can cast off, self-pity. Um, feeling sorry for yourself feels good, but it doesn't accomplish anything. It feels really good. It really does. Uh, when you're sitting there and, man, nobody else has to deal with this, and you just get madder and madder, and that self-pity feels good, but it doesn't help anything to get you through this storm. Um, all it does is it makes maybe some maybe a mistake that you did make. You, we talked about it at the beginning. Sometimes storms are of our own making. It makes those mistakes feel insurmountable. I can't get over it because poor me. Self-pity. Entitlement. And I think this one is probably one of the, one of the worst. Why me? Why me? Why am I going through this storm? Why not you? Right? Why, why should you not go through the storm? What are you, why are you so much better than somebody else that you shouldn't go through the storm. Second Timothy chapter three verse twelve. All that will live godly shall suffer persecution. You're gonna go through the storm. So not why me, why me, God? Why? Why do? I, why are you putting me through this storm? That's the better question to ask. So entitlement. And uh, <clears throat> again, I have lots of notes under this, but I think I think sometimes this why me attitude turns into bitterness against God Himself, um, and that's a that's a dangerous place to be. Keep your finger in, in Acts chapter 27 because we're going to come back. But look at Psalm chapter 107 quickly. Instead of why me, how about this in, in Psalm chapter 107? In verse 8. Uh, he, verse 7, and he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. How about instead of why me, that be our attitude. Cast off, uh, lighten the ship by getting rid of that entitlement attitude. And, and these are much more practical. But, but how about when you're going through a storm, get rid of... The social media, I mean, sometimes we, it's just, a, it's just a, a mindless thing. It's not even that we're going to social media looking for help, even though I'm sure people do put it out there. I've seen that before. Hey, this is my problem. Any help would be appreciated. And they're not looking for money. They're looking for advice. That's a, don't go to social media, but that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just get off of the social media. Uh, I guess they, I think they call them social media fasts, but it's not a bad thing. Put it all away. Put the phones away. Put the TV shows away. If I can't miss that show, you're going through a storm. You've got to lighten the ship and, and focus on getting through this storm. And then lastly, with lightening the ship, don't fall into the humanistic approach. I was, I was studying for this and I read uh, something and I was looking for something completely different. I came across this article <clears throat> where it said it was a lady writing, and she said, what do you do when you're going through a trial? And I was like, well, let's see what she has to say. And it was some, some, I don't know if she was a psychiatrist or what she was, but here's what she said. First thing, number one key, 
you must do your yoga and meditation. <laughs> that, that was her first piece of advice. Do your yoga and meditation. That's not what we need. I'm fighting for every breath in this storm. I don't need to do yoga. I need to lighten the ship, uh, as all the things that we just talked about. Second thing is, look at verse 21. We're, gonna go, we're getting through these pretty quickly. Verse 21. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And this is a side note too. Paul is the man of God, right? He's not here preaching. But he is the man of God on this ship, whether they know it or not, whether they like it or not. And he says, you should have listened to me. This is, a good, this is good advice. Uh, our pastor is not God, but if, if our pastor gives you advice, you at least need to listen, if nothing else. Because in chapter 27, Paul says, I don't think, I wouldn't lose, I wouldn't leave. Um, it's not a good idea. And they say, we're going to leave anyways. The next thing you know, they're in this, uh, in this storm. But the second thing is, get alone with God. In verse 21, where was Paul? It says, but after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them. Now, I think there's two things there, but after a long time of not saying anything, but I think that Paul had gone to a place in the ship in the middle of the storm and just got alone with God. And the reason I know that, or I believe that, is from our third point, and we'll get there in a second. But nobody else can give us an answer for our storm. Not a boyfriend, not a girlfriend, uh, not a, a parent, not another a good friend, not even your pastor can give you the answer for what you need to get through the storm. Now, after you've gone to God and he's given you your answer, it's not a bad idea to go to godly counsel and say, hey, I think this is what I need to do. What do you think? I think that's great advice. But get alone with God first. Um, and I have a whole bunch of verses for this, and I'm just going to read a few of them. But Psalm 91, verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That doesn't sound like getting advice from a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Abide under the, in, uh, dwell in the secret place of the Most High, and you'll abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And that shadow is talking about the protection of the Almighty. Uh, Isaiah chapter 26, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Uh, uh, Psalm 62, verse 1. Truly my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. Mark 1.35, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and sought advice from his best friends mm -mm. and prayed. He got alone with God. And I know that's easy to say. When you're going through the storm, uh, I've heard of people that are, they, you know, uh, some of my own friends, older men, that they're like, you know, when they're going through that, I couldn't even pray. I couldn't even, I couldn't even calm my mind enough to be able to talk to God. But we have to do that. We must run to God. Uh, Psalm 63, verse 6, When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. What's he doing up in the night watches? He's going through a tough time. And I meditate on thee in the night watches because thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee and thy right hand upholdeth me. That's what we need when we're going through a storm. Get alone with God. And this is nothing you've not heard before. But you know why Satan keeps Christians so busy with, with silly things? Because he knows if, he, if we get quiet and we listen for that still small voice, we're going to get through the storm that we're in. We're going to be able to come out on the other side, maybe not unharmed, but alive and ready to go uh, to work for Christ. 
If he can keep us from walking with our God and communing with him and being, and being used by and for his work, that's why he keeps us busy. Um, and, and here's another point for get alone with God. I wrote this down. Get alone means nothing else going on. No phones, no social media, no work, no video games, no excuses, just you and your God. That's what we need. Get alone with God. And why do I think that Paul, thirdly, was alone with God? Because in verse 24, verse 23, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, and saying he heard from God. That's why he got alone with God. You, you think this is the end of Paul's life. He's going to Rome, and in Rome he'll be killed. Now, he was there for a couple years under house arrest and everything else, but he's about, his life is almost over. By this point in Paul's life, he knows how to get through storms. Remember all that he lists, everything he's been through, uh, however many times he was beaten and however many times he suffered shipwreck. Paul knows how to get through a storm. So what does he do when they get into a storm? He gets alone with God, and then in verse 24, he hears from God, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. And then verse 25, Paul says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. I heard from God, and this is what's going to happen. And um, I have a whole bunch of verses for this, too. I'm just going to read uh, a couple of them. Um, but, but I wrote this down, too. We don't need the advice of well-meaning friends. Think, about, think of Job's friends. Uh, I think they were good guys. Job was a godly, godly man. He wouldn't have had slouches for friends. And even those friends... Well, this, they gave him advice. Well, I think it's because you're in sin or whatever else. But that's not, we don't need the advice of well-meaning friends or discouraged family. Think of Job's wife. She said, you should just curse God and die. There's no hope for you. I don't think Job's wife was an ungodly woman either, but I think they had been through this storm and she'd just seen him go through so much, she just said, Job, just, just end it. And, uh, but, but Job didn't do that. He heard from God. And I think some of the hardest times to hear from God are when we're in the middle of that storm. And here's a few verses uh, that I wrote down. So Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I'm sorry, I jumped to, the, I jumped to my other point. John 8.47, He that is of God heareth God's words. Isaiah 30, verse 21, And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when you turn to the right hand and when you, when you turn to the left, listen for God's voice. I love that verse. Your ears will hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way. Walk ye in it. You think you're going to hear that when the TV is blaring in the background? You're not. You have to get alone with God, hear from God, and he will guide you through that storm. That's what we saw here with Paul. And then the last point, believe the promises of God. Paul's all of a sudden, hey, fear not. Uh, or, or verse 25, Sirs, be of good cheer. I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. And then verse 27, But when the 14th night was come, as they were driven up and down in, in, in Adria. Uh, anyways, Paul's, this 14 days later, they're still bobbing out on this storm in the ocean. And, uh, but Paul tells them, be of good cheer. And verse 28, well, let's see. Uh, verse 35, and when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. 
I think it's interesting too here, and I'm almost done. Uh, I don't think Paul uh, said, bless this food to our bodies. I think Paul was, was being a testimony to these unsaved men, these prisoners on this ship. He took the bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And I think it's important here that, that Paul was probably thanking God, not just for the food, thanking God for everything that he'd been brought through up to this point. And, and I don't mean he's, you know, he's not bragging to these guys, but Paul has seen God deliver him. Paul has seen God work in his life. Paul has seen, look at this conversion testimony, just that. And Paul says, thank you uh, for everything in the presence of them all. And when he'd broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And then they, and when we were all in the ship, we were in all in the ship, 203 score and 16 souls, so the number of men. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship again and cast out the weed into the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land. But anyways, uh, Paul believes the promises of God. I'm going to give you a few verses on this as well, because nothing I say is going to get you through your storm. God's word is what gets us through uh, our tough times. But think, look at this, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. What's the expected end? To die in the storm? No. To get through that storm stronger, uh, closer to Him, more spiritual. And what's the purpose of being more spiritual? It's not to be, to be looked at, oh, he's spiritual, she's spiritual, look at her. Look how she go, went through that storm. It's to bring glory to God. Jeremiah 29, 11. Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. These are promises of God. These are not, um, these are not verses saying God will get you through it. These are promises. I'm going to get you through this. Believe on these promises. And that's what Paul said there. Uh, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Um, Man, there's so many, so many verses, I'm gonna, and I'm just going to skip through, but I, there's a couple that I want to read. Um, Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Uh, Isaiah 43, 2. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be done with the verses there, but that's a promise that you can hang your hat on. When you walk through the fire, I'm going to be with you. I mean, look, look at the, uh, the three Hebrew children. God was with them. Um, but we're gonna, we'll close here tonight. Um, wrote this down. Are you in a storm tonight of finances or discouragement or depression or a storm of decision or a storm of a wayward child or a spouse who has disappointed or an illness that has you deeply concerned or rebellious teen, an unsaved spouse? We go through all of these storms. Uh, it's not just cancer. That's a storm. But it's, that's not the only thing we go through. And, and sometimes, to different people, storms are much more serious. Some of us may 
uh, get into something that maybe is a big storm to somebody else, and, and we, get, we get into it, and, oh, man, this is, this is a bump in the road, but we get through it. To other people, it's a big storm, and your big storm is coming. And those four things, lighten the ship, get alone with God, hear from God, and trust His promises. And the last thing I'll say is, when you get through that storm, it's not over. There's another one coming. Look what happens in verse 28. They get on, the, they get on land. There's, there's uh, verse 1. And when they were escaped, when they knew that the island was called Melita, and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. Now, they were, they were actually kind, but they're barbarians. And this is where Paul gets bit by the serpent and, and all the rest of it. The storms are not over. Paul goes from one thing to the next to the next. Don't uh, get through your storm and then pile all your stuff back on. All right? There's a reason we go through the storms, to lighten it up. Now, uh, we, we talk about this all the time. You know, as hard as you can try not to, to gather things, you end up gathering things when you're in a house. And you know how much you gathered when you go to move, right? Where did all this stuff come from? We're trying to get rid of stuff all the time, and we just have stuff. We do that in our Christian life. We get through a storm. We've lightened the ship. Maybe we finally made it to the other side. And then we start gathering. I have to have that. I have to have this. Uh, let's, let's keep the things that we learned in our storm in the, in the forefront for the next storm that's coming. And maybe some of that will keep us from getting into those storms. If they had listened to Paul to begin with, don't, don't set sail, they would have never been in this storm. Um, and, the, and the applications can go on, um, but we'll end there tonight. Lighten the ship, get alone with God, hear from God, and trust His promises. You will go through a storm. You may be in one now, um, but these things can help us. And read, read, Acts, read the book of Acts, especially starting there in 21, and see what Paul went through and how he, he got through that uh, with God's help. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us. God, I thank you for the opportunity to open your word and to, to apply some of these things to our lives. God, I pray that uh, those that were here and listening and hearing tonight, I pray that uh, God, each one of them is my friend, and I pray that uh, some of us are going through storms. God, I pray that you'd help us, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, to be an encouraging, edifying friend uh, that can help us get through the storm. But God, we're not getting through the storm unless you get us through it. So I pray that these uh, principles tonight would help us get through the storms that we come across in our lives, that we remember the promises that you've given us, and that we would not just remember them, we would lean on them. And we would lean heavily on them, cast all of our care on you uh, because you care for us. And you want us to put our burden on you. You'll carry it. And I pray that we would remember that tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.